Hello, I'm Colin Green, and you are listening to Spike Pit. Hey, Colin, just wanted to say I love the bizarre turn your podcast has taken. Really loving that sound collage stuff. You've got a real talent for that, my friend. Getting some serious blue jam vibes coming off of that. Yeah, there's something wonderfully cathartic about it as well, isn't there? Um, I say isn't there. I don't know. You have exercised the demons. Hey, Colin, Eric here, calling in about technology and gaming. Um, I use Roll20 now, but I'm a very low-end, simple user. Um, I set up maps, I use Fog of War. The thing that I really enjoy about Roll20 is I do like using tokens. Um, when I play in person, I like to use miniatures. Now, I don't set up, I just, you know, I draw something on a, a hex map with a dry erase marker and I have dudes around. Um, I'm a visual learner. So if it's just verbal or written, I have a hard time um, fully conceptualizing it, especially when there's a battle going on. I do like to get like a, a you know, I like some like mild tactics in my fights. So with Rule 20, what I do is I keep an area of the map under fog of war at and that's where all my tokens are, all my guys, all the things that I'm going to think I'm going to use during that adventure. Um, any tokens I need to resize, I can just drag them there and I resize them and then I toss them over into whatever scenario that we're running. I will say that when I first got Roll20, I was frustrated and disappointed just because I didn't find it super easy to use and there were a variety of functions that I was like, oh, this might be cool, but I couldn't get it to work right. And what I just realized is that I don't have the time to master it all up front and I just need it as a simple, uh, my version of a whiteboard. Um, I do allow people to roll dice in there and I think I'm gonna go back to allowing people just to roll dice at their, at their, at their desk. buy a bunch of dice in this hobby more than we need so you know we should probably roll them right and then with all this online play my dice don't really get used so yeah I think I'm gonna go back to rolling uh, the dice at the table maybe as a GM I'll still roll them out in the open because I because I want to keep that going but yeah and then the last piece you guys were talking about cameras and stuff like that uh, you know I don't know I, there's some games where it feels like there's people that are not paying attention. Um, I've seen game masters try to get their attention and they don't respond and then it's like they miss their turn and you come back and it's like then they do respond. So, you know, maybe if people were all on cameras that wouldn't happen. I don't know, man. But uh, you know what? Find the solution that works for you and your table and uh, have fun with it, right? Hey, Colin. Sonny, Jason here. 
always love hearing when Sonny's on the show. He has great ideas, except for this idea of fifth edition's the best edition. I, I blame Sonny's father for that, for, for not giving a proper introduction to the, the wide world of role-playing. But that's not Sonny's fault. Anyhow, great, great talk, guys. Really enjoyed it. Look forward to hearing you both again. Take care. Hey there, Colin. It's John here from the Red Dice Diaries. Just listening to your latest episode. And I think Jason makes some very good points with his call-in. About, you know, not all people having a, a massive level of technology. For myself, I've not got a massive load of technology. I've got like a budget uh, desktop that's like over a good few years old. Granted, I've got two monitors. Where Jason's talking about the not wanting people to have to like flip between tabs and sort of get distracted with the technology and stuff like that. I suppose my only sort of slight rebuttal to that would be that if your players aren't capable of clicking between a couple of different tabs without getting distracted by the technology, I'm sorry, but I'm going to suggest that the problem's probably not actually with the technology. It doesn't do stuff by itself. It doesn't force us to be distracted and look at other things. I'm not saying it doesn't make it easier. If we get distracted by something or stop paying attention to a game, at the end of the day, the fault has to lie with us, unfortunately. But I do agree that you know you should bear in mind that people maybe don't have a great deal of technological experience and you should make it as easy as possible for people to access your game. I was thinking to myself, you know, on the edge of uh, board games, there are little indicators of like how many players, how long it takes, whether it's a family game or not, um, age, suggested age ranges, stuff like that. And I have many, many times thought to myself, it would be nice if there was some kind of generic measure like that for role-playing games. Hey, Colin, it's Rob from Down in the Heap. That was a good episode, and uh, Liren brought up some interesting points, some of which I've thought about before. I cast my mind back to uh, when I was a younger gamer. Games, especially war games, did have things like complexity rating and how long you'd anticipate playing the game. I mean, what? how long would it take to complete it, etc. cetera. Um, I think part of the problem is back then there were only a few publishers making games so that they, they could uh, have these relative terms so you could judge like, oh, it's it's the same complexity level as this game, as Panzer Blitz, which I'm familiar, familiar with, so I kind of know what I'm getting into. But now with all the self-publishers and, uh, you know, the plethora of games and game designers it's yeah kind of hurting cats so be challenging anyway good topic see ya i think you hit the nail on the head in laren's question i think it's a good question that she asked about you know labeling on games but i think things like complexity whether dice going to be used how narrative it is length of play things like that are really going to depend group on group, you know. Even look at Advanced Dungeons Dragons 1st Edition. You know, Gary Gygax wrote all the rules in the 1st Edition DMG, and then he didn't run combat that way. He didn't use a lot of those rules that he wrote. So it, it's really subjective. So I really, I think he did a good job answering it. it it'd be nice if we could do what she's asking, but, but I think, you know, if you're going to play in a game, it's more about talking to that GM ahead of time 
you know, to find out that GM's play style. I think that's more important than the rule set, to be honest. Dude, I really like Liren's idea. I, I agree that it would be really hard uh, to label games like that, but I especially would find it useful in reviews because a lot of reviews, my favorite RPG reviewer is Seth Skorkowski. He's amazing. Uh, he does a lot of Call of Cthulhu and AD&D and Traveler reviews, but he'll frequently say, oh, this took us two sessions or three sessions to play. And that I don't find very useful because you don't know how long someone's sessions are, you know? He's mentioned before that sometimes his sessions are like eight to 12 hours long. So, you know, a session to him might be three or four sessions to somebody else. So, yeah, like breaking it down by how many hours an adventure would take, you know, it'd be a lot harder with systems. Uh, But I think you could do it with adventures and modules. Anyway, that's it. Peace out. Um, I feel like maybe I conflated two things when I sent you those messages about labeling. So I I wanted to separate them. And also I have brought Jeff along because I thought maybe, you know, having a man along to help me explain it would help. No, (laughs) I'm just joking. Really seriously. I am just joking. Uh, He, he didn't find that as amusing as I did, but there you have it. So, (laughs) um, I was making two points and one of my points certainly was It would be interesting if they could put some sort of label on the box about like they do on board games for number of players, length of play, uh, and I don't mean these same labels, but you know, like you talked about on board games, there's a set of labels, right? And uh, I completely understand the difficulty with the company that wrote the game doing that. Absolutely. The thing that really keeps bringing this to mind for me and that I kept thinking about in the past when I have not brought it up and talked about it was back in the day when I was on the audio dungeon and a bunch of people were offering games and I would look at the listings and I would think, okay, well, that's great. Thanks for the setting. And I don't know the systems. So they would talk about the systems like, oh, well, this tells you everything. And I'm like, except if you don't know it and then it doesn't tell you much at all. And uh, I kept thinking to myself, man, it would be so nice if there was like some way to clarify some of the qualifiers about how a game goes, you know? So one of the things that Jeff and I are going to talk about real quick, and I'm going to try not to leave you an hour long thing here, is just his experience with being at an event where they made a stab at labeling things that is along the lines of what I'm talking about that I think would be a really helpful thing to do. Now, I don't know where you do this because I mean, I'm not even on the audio dungeon anymore. I don't know if people are still offering games. People hadn't offered games in a long time last time I was on there. So I don't even know that it's still about what it used to be. But I do like have that pie in the sky dream of there being a uh, some kind of place where you could go where there were people who are gamers who you can rely on them having some level of maturity and, and some level of... Uh, Um, sense of camaraderie about a game that would stop them from engaging in bad or immature behavior. I mean, I really am dreaming here, aren't I? But, but don't burst my bubble, man. (laughs) But I keep thinking it could be really helpful in that scenario. So on that note, I am going to have Jeff talk about an experience he had with something along the lines of what I was thinking of. So here he is. Okay, so um, the the short story is that I don't know it was around 
2013, I got invited to go to Gen Con as part of Games on Demand. So Games on Demand runs at Gen Con every year, and they do tables of games for folks who can't find games, can't get into the the regular registered play stuff. Um, So it's kind of a la carte gaming there. And when they did that, they had each of the GMs um, propose the games that they were willing to run and then put them up on a placard as kind of a menu. And the menu would say the name of the game, and then down at the bottom, I don't remember all of the symbols that they had, but it had, how many hours would this be? Is this a two-hour slot or a four-hour slot? And is the tone silly or fun or serious or dramatic? Um, You know, is it rules... Uh, super heavy, or is it you know mechanics heavy, or is it super lightweight? Um, I don't remember all of the symbols that they had, but they had a, a, a sizable number of them. I always thought it was a very good idea, and so people could walk up, they could look at this menu board of games, and they could say, "Oh, I, I probably like this thing over here because it looks because I want to play something fun right now. I don't want to play anything super dramatic at the moment." Um, so yeah, that was that was kind of the labeling experience that I had there. So that is exactly the kind of thing I was talking about. And I feel like, I don't know if I wasn't clear in my description, but I thought it would be helpful to have Jeff come along and explain that, and maybe that would clarify. So anyway, I hope that's helpful, and I hope that you have a good one. What the heck is wrong with you? 